Hello and welcome back to another episode of Unfiltered. I am Yanina Doyle. I'm Jonathan Kleeman. And we are joined with beautiful Pauline Vicard. Right? Said yes. it right? Perfect. Um, Pauline and I have known each other for quite a few years now. And the thing that I loved about you the minute I met you is Pauline is very unique. She has a super nose power. <laughs> and this super nose power has just it evolved into this ability to combine wine with creativity with with clothing and fabrics and textures and and happiness and who knows squirrels who knows solving crimes a solving crimes everything <laughs> pauline basically is multi-talented pauline i think that's a great introduction to you tell us so tell us about this nose of yours and tell us about how you got into wine well I guess the nose thing is, <laughs> well, I've been told over the years, I'm not sure because I've, I've never done the, uh, a proper test, but I've been told that I'm a synesthetic. So synesthetic, I, right? Yes. Yeah, so it gets, yeah. and, it, and for me, it's the nose that triggers it. So I can associate different things through my nose. So when I smell something, I see pictures or I hear music. So that's been really helpful for me through my wine studies because that's how I remember it. So I will associate a color or a sound to wine. And so when I tr taste the wine and try to recognize it, I try to, you know, just see, actually close my eyes and see what the color or what the instrument I'm that I'm hearing. I'm so jealous. Um, it's so, so romantic. And how I get to the wine. Well, I was born in a winemaker her family in Burgundy so I guess that's very cliche I was born I was born in the wine and Pinot Noir and Chardonnay um, and then when I turned 16 my my father's asked me if I wanted to take over the vineyard which I didn't want to do at the time Hard work. that yeah because I mean I've been working with my parents I mean it sounds poetic and romantic you know vineyards in Burgundy but actually when you have to wake up every morning to go and work in the vineyard because I mean Burgundy is still very old-fashioned in the way it's I mean, people are in the vineyard and in the cellar and in the selling part as well. They do everything. It's not, you know, like in the new world when you will buy grapes and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to go in. The vineyard is actually your, the biggest part of your job. And that means going out every day and working outside, which I miss greatly now. But when you're 16 and you have to go and work, you know, every Wednesday, every Saturday, every when all holidays. your friends are going to the cinemas. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in the middle of Burgundy, there oh. wasn't that many cinemas anyway. But, you know. <laughs> I like to mention as well, like, whenever you meet Burgundy winemakers, the majority of them have dirty fingernails all the time. You know, you know they've been, in the f they've been yeah. there with their own hands. They're not, mm. they're not. You go to some bigger wineries in certain regions like Napa or Bordeaux, where they have huge teams. The person who owns a vineyard necessarily doesn't get their hands dirty. In Burgundy, pretty much every. Yeah, it was just it was just my dad and my mom. They had six extras, which is like the the maximum size you can have in Burgundy with one person and a half. So one of the parent full time and the other parent raising the kids at the same time. So basically, my. But well, if you're working at yeah. four, it's fine. They can keep an eye on you as long as you're in between yeah. the vines. Uh... So so when he asked me Crescent if I wanted <laughs> Crescent side row nine. Just roll, roll the baby down. It can yeah. be great as it goes past. So it's, it's got a good, good grip. It's fine. Well, no. Well, I know, for example, how do you recognize ants uh, that are female and ants that are male? Because that's other thing that I, I learned. I thought that just the queen was female. Well, you take the ant very, very carefully. You turn it over, and okay. if it's written truck, it's a male, and if it's written flower underneath, it's a female. If it's sweetened, no. If it's written male on the back of the ant, uh, if it's written sorry truck, sorry, it was a, it was a terrible joke. 
that's the type of joke that oh. you make when you swear and you are actually in the vineyard because you were talking about. Oh, that's hilarious! I would like to Sorry. I thought that was serious. I was like, I was going to go fucking work it out. Both me and Joe. So my point is silent. That's just a lot to. That was so silent. If we didn't get the joke, that was so silent because we're too stupid to understand what we're doing. No, it was a joke. So if if have this, yeah, yeah. So if it's written truck on the back, it's a male, and if it's written flower on the back, it's a female. And that's that's the type of joke you came up when you swear in. I thought someone just did I thought you were just destroying my knowledge of wildlife. I'm like, I'm I'm like, I'm like, I'm sure there's a queen. I thought this is the thing that happened. They all listen to like, so, so, so. Uh, when my dad asked me if I wanted to take over the vineyard, I said no, and I want to run away as far as possible. And he said, um, "Isn't that every child's desire?" <laughs> yeah, it? something like this. And he said, "Well, okay, but go and do something meaningful in the world of wine." So that's what I'm trying to do now. Trying to okay. have that heritage part of thing. But did you have another sibling who took over? The yeah, wine? no, my brother. I've got a younger brother, but he's, he was never really interested in wine. He was oh, never really oh, wow. involved oh, in, in in the vineyard and in working outside and everything. So. Considering the price um, of Burgundy currently, are you rethinking your ideas of going back to the vineyards? Yeah, well, that's a funny thing because if you think about 35 years ago, Burgundy wasn't. I mean, the Burgundy I grew up in is very, very different than the people, what people think about Burgundy now. Because actually, my parents, we were not a historical Burgundy family. I mean, my parents were the first generation winemaker, and technically, I'm the only Burgundian member with my brother because my born. parents were not born there. And they wanted to buy a vineyard in Beaujolais. But mm-hmm. at that time, 40 years ago, well, uh, yeah, 40 years ago, um, Beaujolais was too expensive. So they had to go to Burgundy. They've made the right decision. Yeah, they couldn't afford Beaujolais. Isn't that funny? Well, that was the Can you imagine Beaujolais you know, being more expensive than Burgundy? That is crazy. It's like I, horrifying that, I alternate reality. Well, well it's, 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 it's the thousand part of Burgundy, right? It wasn't, you know, anyway, bone and north of bone. That was still expensive at that time. But everything that was south of bone wasn't... Mm enjoying the reputation that it has now wow. like Mercure and Givry and all those small they were all considered just kind of there was just table, table wine, wine. Yeah. well not table wine but as in you know they were, there was that difference between the northern part of Burgundy and the rest of it um, so do you think maybe you may end up finding yourself back do you well, think your child may end up being on a vineyard hating it and eventually well, going away from is, home at 16? I, I love, I'm, I'm not going to say I don't like Burgundy and I'm not going to say, you know, that Pinot Noir is not an important part of my life, but I like and I really enjoy wines from everywhere uh. and I like working for wine with a big W and not mm-hmm. just one winery, even yeah. if it's mine, because I know first thing how engaged you need to be in that project if you want to make wine, right, from viticulture to winemaking. And I really enjoy viticulture, so I would love to have a vineyard and do the wine and not, you know, not split those two parts. And when you do that, it's more than a full-time project and more than a full-on project. And then you can't really visit other... Well, you can, but To you be know. fair, if there's anyone, I was just going to say, if there's anyone I know who can handle being a mother a vigneron if that's how you pronounce it properly and someone who travels the world to represent the world of wine that would be you so <laughs> actually i think somehow oh i'm sorry wait wait, wait. master of wine student yeah sorry that's also that that is like a, a full that is a full-time but job that's, in itself. that's again that's what you get also from being an mw student is the more you learn the more you get excited about you know wine making in argentina okay yeah and those remote grapes in greece and you really want to know how they work and how people work with it and i would love to have like a hundred life and being a winemaker in greece and a winemaker in australia and you know also sommelier in in, in new york and be and having that 
and I think that's sometimes the, the tough thing in our industry though is is I don't think there's any easy part of the wine industry. No. And I think it's the toughest decision we all have to make, which is that we all have to agree that you have to kind of make sure, okay, cool, I'm going to do X or Y. And unfortunately, there is no, there's no, there's a problem. You look at all the other people and you go, oh, being a winemaker looks so amazing. I've picked grapes and worked in a vineyard yeah. for two weeks. I now know. It hurts it's, your back. It's hur- <laughs> it's, it does. You cut it's yourself, you, you do yourself. So there's no such thing as health and safety. Um, it's hot, it's humid. And then even worse is, while you do have staff only for the busiest period, then all the staff leave and then you're there left pruning yeah. in the re- winter. And then, God forbid, the weather decides to change and, you and then screws you. Yeah. It's just, you know. You burn your eyebrows? Well, I, I wouldn't know the English for this, but um, when my dad was pruning. Say the French, it'll sound good. It's fine. Yeah, so there's, it sound there's more classy all those canes our, uh, that are left yeah. in the wires. So you, you take the canes out, and at that time, we were burning them. With a wheelbarrow. Ah, of course. And so okay. you get with that wheelbarrow in between the, you're doing in the, the vines, and then sometimes you've you got do the wrong thing. You need to go to, sorry, I was in Rioja Alavesa this year, and they take all the cuttings from the vines and they use it to cook lamb. Yeah, and it is the most delicious well. goddamn thing. You guys are wasting your vines. Well, do you need find to lamb. cook quite a lot of lamb, right? To use I ate a lot of lamb. That, yeah. that, that <laughs> is, when you have lamb that salty and that deliciously cooked, I'm, I don't, yeah. I've never had, I don't think I've actually had lamb better than being more in. Come on. Um, but again, it's more, 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 well, I did, that was the most delicious lamb. We kept the kick coming around, you were full, going, I couldn't possibly, oh, there's another plate. Ah, <laughs> I'll do it again, yeah. Barbecue lamb with uh, wine vines, it's mm. definitely dried wine vines, is, and it's, they, they burn really quick, don't they? It's, but they um, do loads of things now with it, I mean, they recycle it and they use it as a cover crop, well, not cover crop, but as a cover in the vineyards as well, they use it as a full cycle thing. But I guess one of the other things that changed about Burgundy over the f- last 35 years is that the sustainability thing, I guess we're going to talk about this a bit later for the future of fine wine, but I mean, 35 years ago in the Burgundy where I was growing up, using pesticide was a sign of exterior richness, like the more, the richer you were, you could, the, the more, more you, you could afford, it. you know, pesticide and herbicides. And the big trend at that time was to have nothing in between rows was to have clean, perfectly... To look beautiful. Yeah. About aesthetics uh, more than... That was the, the norm of aesthetic at the time, but and now now it's changing. Was that what's maybe giving an opinion of, oh, if I have stuff around it, they're taking the stuff that my vines need almost as well, that mentality. But well, I guess, I mean, and also climate change 35 years ago, I guess the vintage in Burgundy were not the same. And if you think about Burgundy or the vintage, either they were great and you had three or four great vintage a decade, and the rest of it was just... Well, it's actually the, the weird anecdote I had from a vineyard. I was actually at a Flint wine tasting, and it was um, it was he was saying, "Bergie goes when I was young, all of the vintage, you know, we always picked before my birthday. Yeah. As I became old enough to work in a vineyard properly, we picked on my birthday or thereabouts. He goes, and now we always pick after. Yeah, well, it was. And it just shows the difference in. It was. It was sorry, the other way around. Sorry, now they pick before, but you're picking after. It's the same thing for me. We picked the first week of October as I was a really small kid and then he moved to the last week of September then now the August. average date is like around the 15th of September and you know harvest starting at the end of August first week of September has been happening but 15th, or I mean, 2015 must have been August and then yeah and yeah, two, um, 2003 was August as well, well 2003 for the whole of yeah. my god yeah so I guess that changed also the 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 cycle of the vines changed quite a lot. The way people are making wine changed as well. And I mean, that's why also Burgundy came with that reputation now because the quality of Burgundy wines are, are better than they've ever been on average. I mean, again, 
I don't know if you remember Burgundy 25 years ago, but either you were having I a wonderful I can honestly tell you 25 years ago I was not drinking Burgundy. Oh, <laughs> I, and I mean, a lot of wines from 25 years ago would it, wouldn't be good now anyway. They wouldn't mm. have survived. But it's surprising but how many can be still good as well, though. I have tried some old Burgundies, not quite that age, but I've had some near 20 and they've been... Yeah, and, and some of them are... I mean, the Burgundy aged beautifully if they come from a good vintage. Like, between 2000, you had to have a good vintage. Here's a question for you as well. Before 2000, sorry. On going with the theory of mine as well, though, is one of the things... Like, in a positive criticism of Burgundy in a way I always feel that Burgundy was suffered away with for many years and still with some now and then we've seen this changing of hands of generations yep. and modernisation it's Burgundy was has for years suffered with fantastic farmers and vineyards in that sense but not necessarily good winemakers in the sense if you went to a lot of wineries you can still go to them where you're going going really this is what you're using to make wine and not even a sense of it being not enough money for equipment but they're doing it very old fashioned ways or they're using techniques or using things that are very oxidative and I feel that almost sometimes I do feel there's certain producers or certain winemakers who have been far more consistent over time and I feel that it's not always just a really vintage I always feel that somewhat is what they do in the winery where there's always been lacking a little bit and I think that's yeah, changing no, no, rapidly sure. now and that's, that's what's changing rapidly and that's one of the explanation why why the fame of Burgundy now and, why consistency the roof, yeah. and improvement in the vineyard and improvement in the cellar as well I mean, people have been, again, when I was a kid, we would chapterize every year quite systematically. That's changing wow. so much, though, isn't it? So you never see that anymore. You almost no, never see that. anyone is chapterizing. No. Well, thanks to global warming, mm. in a way. So also. Thank you, car drivers. Yeah. <laughs> saving Burgundy. Uh, well, <laughs> so when I was a kid, Burgundy was around 11.5%, right? And now it's 13, 13.5% on average without chaptonization. Mm-hmm. So there's something happening and we've got a shorter cycle and we can pick two or three weeks earlier than, than 30 years ago. Well, I think, you know, this is, but this is the thing that we're to- talking about constantly and actually bringing that back to the theme, yeah. which you mentioned. What did you, what theme did have you Have we mentioned the theme? We have not met, you we mentioned, mentioned it super, well, both yeah. of you have not said, properly. you Sorry, both no. of you have said little snippets Introduce to tease the our Sorry, we haven't done the Please tell us what project. theme did you pick today, Pauline? So the theme that I've picked um, is actually a thing, a theme that I spent my days thinking about is the future of fine wine. Okay. So what fine wine will be and what will that mean in the future? And, and by the wines we've lined up, there's going to be a lot of debate in this discussion. So, yeah. <laughs> the good, the, because I brought the only white and the only sparkling, I get to go first. Yippee! You went um, for a crowd-pleasing shout, though, I have to admit. I did not go for a crowd-pleasing shout. Crowd I went for a delicious shout. wine. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so we can all have a little try. I mean, we've all been sipping away uh, yeah, we've, for the last we've, I've already, I've, I may have already topped up my glass. Yeah, so. yeah a few times. Um, hey. I have brought hey, Richview non-vintage sparkling wine. They're Bloomsbury, which for anyone who doesn't know who Richview are, they are an English sparkling winery in, I think it's Ditchling. Anyway, in, in Surrey. I've been to visit. It's a fantastic, lovely site. I have site. been to visit. Um, they're anybody who... Um, has not gone down there, please do. Uh, there is a delightful gentleman. Here's your little shout out, Tom. Tom Sergi, who. Well, he hasn't been on the podcast yet, so he's not delightful until he comes on. Yeah, <laughs> then, we've been asking saying, Tom to come on. He's barely on. a gentleman until he comes on, but when he yeah. comes on, then he'll be a gentleman. That's how it's going to work. <laughs> and we'll build it up. Winning his title. Tom, uh, please redeem yourself by t- coming and talking about your delicious wines, um, but I'll have to do it for you on this episode. So, um, this Ridgeview is basically their classic. 
uh, traditional method sparkling wine. All this basically, they were uh, one of the original people in England to plant uh, traditional grape varieties. That's your Chardonnay, your Pinot Noir, and your Pinot Meunier. They've been around for around 24, 25 years now. Um, it's family-owned winery, and it is all traditional method, just how they make it in Champagne. It's only their own grapes as well. No, 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 no. Um, and it, things may have changed around slightly. I haven't been to the vineyard for about. Maybe so, Tom, if you were here, you could correct us. <laughs> um, I, I believe they have about thirty acres of their own vineyards, and then they work with, as far as I remember, four specific. Oh, okay, it's um, been working with for a long time. They're so working with so very much the not, champagne. Yeah, they're not buying in like just random grapes. No, no, or whatever. It's just I mean, the whole focus at the end of the day for Ridgeview is. Quality, quality, quality. And I mean, we're tasting it. It is. These guys, for me, have always been one of the top wineries in England. A big one I'd say is also about improvement as well, which is that I remember before they did it on vintage. So they had the Bloomsbury, but it was only vintage. And I remember back then, I remember trying it and feeling to me at the time, again, this is anecdotal and personal mm -hmm. point of view, that it was slightly too aromatic and was lacking a little bit in the richness, which you tend to get. Well, and then as soon as the minute they went on vintage, I remember trying it, it was only probably about six months to a year later yeah. they brought it on vintage. I think they finally polished that off and they kind of show that element of champenoise where yes vintages are fantastic but in England a lot of people are forced to do it every year it's not because they want to do a vintage because they've got because no choice same with Nightingale had to do this mm -hmm. but Nightingale I think had a bit better control on the vintages again in biased terms I've been doing it for longer um, I think the Ridgeview once got non-vintage really came into their own well, um, and what, I think their, their quality is shot amazingly up but that's one of the why also English sparkling wine are going to improve over the next and there's there's such a another Broom and step for improvement on English sparkling mm -hmm. wine because they're going to have more and more reserve wines over the years. It's something yeah, it's, that it's, it's so keep we're building. still a baby. Yeah, it can only and the vines can only get older. I know, yeah, exactly. So I think vine age is a big richer. thing, and it's something that it's my biggest gripe with champagne is this constant fixation on keeping the vines about average twenty years. Uh, I mean, if you Domaine Duquart from um, Justine and Brooks, they've mm. got amazing champagne, and his average age of his, his vines is like 77 years old. What? And his champagne is stand out better than. Interesting most you say that, because again, at all with our lovely. No, not Gentleman Tom, we're not saying he's a gentleman. No, no, Gentleman Tom. Okay, no, but <laughs> lovely Tom. Um, when I was with Tom, he said to me that these, the, again, these were these must be now coming up to about 25 years, 26, 27 years. Which is normally where they start replanting. And they, exactly, they say 25 to 30 years. You don't want them to get too old because if they get too old, Why do they I disagree? get richer. No, I disagree with this. This is no. This is it. You can you can disagree, but as a general rule, you want that obviously kind of really high acidity, don't you? So you don't necessarily want that richness and power. Anyway, so either way, for the average consumer, they're very happy as well. Ridgeview right now is in a really good position because their vines are at a really good age. Now, if they choose, like you just said, which which uh, champagne house uh, is doing? Pascal Duquet. Duquet. Du I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Duquet. I think it's Pascal Duquet. Okay. Pronounce it correctly. He's got a weird pronunciation on the same name. Fine. We can't pronounce um, French words. He's there. A lovely little small grower champagne. Mm. Uh, I remember originally his parents went away. Then his brother and sister didn't want to carry on, so he took over all the vines eventually mm -hmm. from them. Um, I think their average age on most their vines is like 70 years old. But that and his champagnes are, and I mean like especially for the price point, are astounding. Even from his basic brew, mm. and they're not expensive. They're like twenty pound. I guess I guess it's so part of that movement where champagne used to be a process of making, and it's now more and more a wine exactly. before it's sparkling. Yeah. and I think that's so I guess that, that's quite interesting. I don't understand why you would probably well. pull up a little bit to keep the amounts up. What they should do is keep. I think you have to keep. Well, they a might broad, do, but what I a think broad range in your growing. Otherwise, you're going to end up with just. You can produce a product, but. I think if you go and taste a wine like his, and there's more growers, Eric Rodez is another really great example. He keeps a lot more age in his vines, and he keeps a bit more, I think, 
remember him talking about he doesn't blend a lot between the younger and the older. But much like why you blend older wine into younger wine in champagne or in sparkling wine in general, is to give a little bit of that aged element yeah. with that. You need to keep that balance. I mm-hmm. think if you go, if you only worry about production, which is a lot of champagne houses, especially the bigger names, only worry about production over other things. I think they can cover issues up with yeast or by blending older vintages in to cover up problems. That's what a lot of happens. That's what happens. Try to keep that consistency of just one taste, not the best quality flavor you can bring. That can be a problem. I don't think English wine should go the way of trying to be like champagne and produce this same product every year. It should be trying to produce the best product it can. But it hasn't hit that yet. But the it's nice got a long thing, way to go to hit its best yeah, product. Yeah, but the nice thing anyway is that we are in England. Is good. Yeah. It is now, but, uh, but no, no. I mean, oh, when general. you're saying they shouldn't produce the same product every year, but just the best they can do every year. Well, it also depends the importance Sorry, you give to consistency. I meant, I meant my meaning in that is I think that champagne over its time has found its best consistency. Okay. I'm saying with English wine or sparkling in general, we haven't seen its best yet. Um, I think, but vines I think haven't got old enough. And, and, or uh, but near. I think Pauline has said a very good thing. The reserve levels that yeah, we can now use—they're still and tiny. You, you, yeah. again, oh, a tiny, of course. When you say they're bigger than non-existent, oh, you know, yeah. using no, no, 20, <laughs> 25 years worth I mean of their, their vintage. I don't think English wine has peaked at all in quality. No, no, I think there's a long way to that's, go. That's why I'm saying they've got such a room for improvement. They've got such a lovely base now, and and Ridgeview, the wine we're tasting, is such a good example. But they've got so much room to improvement if you compare to Champagne, for example, because they've got so many things Mm -hmm. that are yet not in place, like reserve wines. And if you take all the latest experiment that Champagne's been doing for reserve wines in, you know, in Magnums, in Solero system, in all those things that are now made to to have acidity and to maintain acidity throughout the the latest production and the latest vintage. I mean, England didn't have a chance to experiment with that yet, so... Um, and I guess there's still some terroir to be discovered, some, you know, new experimentation. I think even, even, under- and, and, even, and under- even understanding mm-hmm. our terroir, like Gus, I remember visiting they go, mm-hmm. like, we plucked Pinot on clay and they, we were told it wouldn't work, but for yeah. them it's worked fantastically. Yeah. So I think England's got so much more discovery to do. And I wouldn't, my fear would be for the bigger names. I know Nightingale aren't doing it from talking to Brad and other people and they're experimenting and changing. I yeah. hope that's what carries on would be, they go, great, we've got a product, it works, we like it, and then they go that product mentality and they try to maintain that, because I'd rather they keep pushing to well, get better. Well, you can do that for your for one of your cuvées, because you don't want you can, no, I don't, to I don't want to most of your customers, but then you, you can need keep experimenting. Yeah. Yeah, but to see them edging. So yeah. I, I, I'm not saying I don't want them to make match drastic changes every year, but I'd like to, even their non-vintage, be like, hey guys, we've improved it a bit. Yeah. I've seen the difference between what their Bloomsbury was to what it was when non-vintage, it was an improvement, not a consistency issue it was a case of them going this makes it taste better and I want to see also, that mentality that's that's something that I've learned actually thanks to Vignaventis Guerrero um, Felipe right mm-hmm. the, Felipe my yeah. winemaker yeah. shout out to Vignaventis Guerrero I had a lovely lovely dinner with him the other week it, it and was, it was fantastic he's it a was lovely actually, man no that was Alejandro oh, sorry, the other I, I've not had Felipe no, I'm going to get it wrong <laughs> but he was one of the first new world winemaker that I ever you know met and I've been so astonished and so surprised sometimes meeting new world winemaker that all they wanted to do was replicate the French model and I'm like guys why do you want to you know replicate the French model and use the French rape and do just like the French like you in Chile or Argentina why don't you do Chilean or Argentinian um, and I've asked that question to Felipe and was like why do all the winemakers in the world compare themselves to French and he said well I think it's just like cooking you need to learn your basic and at that stage French 
technique in winemaking is considered one of the best. So we still learn the techniques throughout the French, but then now that we grow up enough, we can, you know, now set experiment free and be ourselves. And be Chilean. And I guess that's what the English wine also they can do, mm-hmm. is now yeah. that they've learned beautifully the techniques and they've proven that they can do that quite well, they can also break free from that champagne model and Absolutely. that champagne comparison and really have their proper styles. Um, the other thing I was saying, and I always defend anyone, especially making, especially making sparkling wine in the champagne method, or sorry, traditional method, yeah. I should actually say traditional method, um, is the amount of time and R&D it takes just to get off the bat. It's seven years before you receive... Seven. Oh, the you, you get, you, no, yeah. you, and you, right. you get no funding in the UK. The, There's no bank who will touch you and, for a And the funds that you need to have you know, sleeping because you can't touch anything from your seven years, like yeah. seven, seven, seven years. years. So it's all those questions. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Seven years. Excuse me. Seven years to <coughs> plant, work, staff. The costs don't go down when you're not producing wine. You still no, want to produce grapes. No, and you still have 15 months of elaboration, and then if you want to age it a bit in bottle, and then you need to release your product. It's just it's just really a crazy it's, it's, it's financial even, even probably, adventure. It's probably what 12 years, 15 years, like yeah. the. You have to have a twenty. You have to have a twenty-year plan in an English winery, and you have to. Have you, I think you've actually accepted. If, you, if you're in an English winery, you actually almost have to accept now that, if you, especially if you're starting off from scratch, what you're building, you're never going to really even see the real fruits of until mm. you're probably retiring. Mm. And it should be your family or whoever takes over from you who are going to really see what you've done. I mean, originally, probably whoever started at the very beginning, they're what twenty years on. Um, yeah. So this is the um, Mike, and I'm so sorry. Um, there, I, I, there's it's a couple, and now surprise, surprise, their daughter, I think. Oh. And again, I'm sorry, Tom, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But you should have been here, Tom. Come back in time. Yes. But basically, <laughs> the second generation, surprise, surprise, this has been around ish twenty five yeah. years or so is now running the place so of course the the the, 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 the family the, the, fa- the couple that started it are, are not well obviously they're still around but the point is you know again it's the beautiful, it's it's beautiful thing of wine really though it's when you on. see this whole like families I think Alsace one of the best regions to go visit for this where you've got these different what families Alsace as in I think that just because you see obviously Burgundy every region is great we see families for generations but I think Alsace we've had these generational changes and so we affected mm-hmm. by World War II well mm-hmm. World War Two. But the family history is still there. We've got some people who've been there for like nine, ten generations. They've been to all, all this history and all of this, and it's fantastic that like, and that level of knowledge of the soil is. Well, it's the level of knowledge and it's it. the level of commitment of financial commitment as well. Because if you're not a family member, I mean, who you would, don't care as much. As yeah, you don't care as much, and yeah. who would accept those working conditions? Oof. I mean, there's worse working condition than being a winemaker I'm not uh, and even a wine grower but it never really stops though does you, it you, you outside but you're, you're, you're also rooted to the spot you, you, yeah. you meet people like I can't leave between X time to X time I can't go on oh, holiday or harvest I mean you've got a solid three months when you know what well, so you depend on how you need to do it pruning yeah. everything yeah, 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 there's certain periods where like, they're like oh no I eat for you, you 12 like months 20, so I can't leave yeah. more than two miles away from my area yeah, because I might have to be there for something so actually I think families that's why you've got so many that's why the industry is so fragmented and you've got so much and so many families involved is because that's the only reason it doesn't you work could, otherwise yeah you, you could bear that actually in a way and um, I mean Burgundy being what it is now I've got several friends that I consider heroes because when you <laughs> inherit three three or four actors in Volnay it's like one million euro an actor right at the price of the land at the you moment you could just sell it and you could just sell it and have four or five million euros in the bank and actually mm. not really work your entire life if you it, al- with it money. almost makes no sense to keep doing it and it, it doesn't make any financial sense no. in a way but and, and I'm like well 
And I don't know, I and mean, my parents' vineyard never really was that. It was really far away from that kind of money anyway. But being offered four million and do whatever I wanted with my life or stay where I was born, where my family came from, in my family house Working and hard. work in the vineyard every day. Which decision will I have made? I Cha-ching. don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, that is not that easy because Dollar then, dollars everywhere, don't yeah. so, and then they would tell me, but what else would I do? Yeah, of course I have four millions in the bank. I drink Burgundy. But then, what else would I do? It's interesting you find real, local, real vignerons, the people who live in that area and who, yeah. who they, they live and breathe. Yeah, and even some people who move into it. And I know I don't always think this is people who've been living there for ten generations. I've met people. But it, it also gives a sense to your life, right? Yeah, I've met you, I've you, met Americans who've moved to Provence, and it's now they're like, but why would I ever? This is where yeah. I'm rooted to. There, it gives there is you a sense of. of belonging yeah. so you know where you come from you know why you're working towards something and I guess purpose is such a thing that people spend their life That's chasing me. when you're born into a winemaking family it's an easy one to get you've got purpose you just want things to continue and improve and make sure that what's three or four generations before you've been working towards you, you continue that and you don't break that chain I think actually in the general scheme of what we talk about with issues with people in general at the moment purpose is something we talk about yeah. so much I think almost it's I think when you find something you really love, like, you know, when I found the wine trade, I, I went to hospitality, but when I really found wine, it's like, people said to me, why did you get into wine? I'm like, okay, when I found it, I'm like, this is just the thing I loved and wanted to be around in some way or way of doing. And it's opened so many doors for me. A lot of experiences you wouldn't get to have any other way. Now, there are experiences other people may not enjoy. Uh-huh. Maybe some people find out with cars or with this. Mm. or with, And I've had, I've had three times in my life I've had an out. All have been into financial. I've been headhunted by financial companies to go work for them. It's a really weird thing that doesn't make any sense. But I have three times now been offered. And it's, do you want to go live this sort of place, lovely place, earn huge money, do this? And I've been, every time I've been this close to doing it. Yeah. And I've gone, but can I turn up at 10 a.m. to work and be pissed? I can't <laughs> do that. But it's... But I'm joking aside. I'm like, but I, I, guess, I don't get to what I love. And I guess, funnily not. enough, those people that would spend four million on those four actors in Volney, they would do that to find a sense of purpose. So mm-hmm. I guess it's crazy. So that's the price of uh, purpose, isn't it? It's like the yeah. Real price of purpose. So they were like, "Why would I sell it anyway?" And then you know, I don't. Know. I don't think I'd, I'd enjoy even what I do or food the way I do or drink the way I do if I didn't have this connection I have to people. Like for me, every time I go out and have a meal, it's a treat. Every time I go and drink wines, every time I go on a trip to a vineyard, it's it's you know, even when I've gone to regions, it's like. Oh, it's not and important and then you go find something it's a gem it's special it's you always, meet someone there's, it's, always there's always a surprise but it's also why the you wine get industry, that as a tourist no but it's also why the wine industry pays so little compared to other because, because of the because of purpose and God does it pay it pays nothing I can't describe to you how little <laughs> it pays but we get to drink lovely wine and yeah. just going back to this wine so we can finish off first of all I just want everyone to so, so basically Ridgeview uh, the Bloomsbury is around £30 that you can get hold of it I looked online, it doesn't say how long they've aged uh, the wine on the Three leaves. years. I, it's three years. I, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm much positive when I went and did the tasting at Ridgeview, it's three years. They, yeah. They're very categorically... I, I, or it's like they're all thereabouts. There's a decent amount of time because it's really brioche No, it's very brioche and, and I'm, I'm positive really, three years. And, and it's got that real creamy texture. Why did you choose that? In relation to okay. the just, oh, look at this, this is she's like, like this, this is good. I like this. <laughs> okay. You need a year Very, five. We've got much better host on our hands. For me, 
but we've already touched first of all i think this is one of the best examples of english sparkling wine first up first of all anyway um and i think that with with climate change as we've already touched on we we've already seen how england is doing so much better with the weather and people are constantly talking are now we? yes we are frost was Quite oh, horrific for stop us! Stop it. Actually. 2018 vintage was something that's really kind of made people wake up as well. Um, they have, you know, made so much more volume, um, and they're obviously now looking to increase. I mean, they've already got a plan now to do something like 40 million bottles, but in the next 20 years, something ridiculous. Like I, I can't it's really, not really remember. Don't be negative. I'm anyway, going to give you counter arguments to you. We'll, this was, is an argumentative point we've got, which is the I, future of wine. I'm going to counter about, it. When I spoke to Tom, I guess he also sort of just revving up as well. I well, like this as well. No, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm listening. When I'm I listening. spoke to Tom at Ridgeview as well, I, I asked him, you know, what's your exports? And really, for the last four years, they, they've kept exports at about 20%. Um, and and I said, is it increasing? Is it changing? You know, what's happening? He said, at the end of the day, they can't make any changes because whatever volume they do, they sell out completely so they are planning on doubling i think they're again could be wrong um but i believe that they want in the next few years to get to about half a million bottles um in terms of quantity they are they're planting more they're making more and the plan is to keep on increasing and that is the same with you know all these vineyards and with our climate actually becoming better for england I feel like you know, and and the way the world is at the moment, sparkling is something we're doing more every day. Um, I just think it can only be a good thing. This sparkling wine made in the traditional method is considered a a, a fine product still, right? Um, and I think I think the the way for I, I'm totally biased being British myself, um, but I think that this is our time. I really think that it. We've already touched on it's getting better and better and better. I think the climate is only going to help us the volume is increasing that means exports are going to get even larger as exports stop pulling that face john john's pulling a really horrible face as exports get bigger more people are going to know about it and i think it's it, it's only going to um expand in a positive way so I'll, I'll share with you my definition and the definition we've been working on for the last three years with all the research that we do yeah. uh, but what would be your definition of fine wine oh. so i guess that's related to for me fine first of all i guess fine wine for me is one a product that has a significant flavor one that is made in a beautiful way with a fantastic balance that you can talk about and get excited about so at the end of the day wine that is delicious and i guess a wine that is slightly desirable one that we cannot buy every day or at least shouldn't do unless we want to start using credit cards so for me a fine wine has to have something special has to have great substance and you can't be drinking it all the time and i and i picked an english sparkling wine because as much as i love Tick and completely in totally endorse english sparkling wine i am not going to drink a traditional method of sparkling all the time because it's it is still reserved for certain parts of the time parts of the parts of the day like breakfast <laughs> good very well <laughs> breakfast Sunday. lunch dinner yeah. i'll actually i will uh, drink it all day long and, that and i have been yeah. much it really, it really it. is a fantastic product but you know it is true we're not drinking it all the time we we, we are saving it for slightly better occasions oh well, average, i don't i disagree John, that entirely. the average consumer is saving no i don't i know i completely disagree with that because again i think your definition of the average consumer to mine is very different i actually think I'd, the fact of the matter is that champagne is still by value, the most consumed sparkling wine product in the UK. 
Doesn't mean it's but, but then but you're saying then spark- Prosecco and then it's English sparkling, regard- not car for off the stables. First of all, I would so disagree. I think Prosecco. No, 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 no. That's different because you can have a huge volume of people drinking one bottle a year. So it it doesn't counter what she said about keeping that for special occasions. I know, but you're saying differences are, are for start. You're saying you need to be in that market. Okay, so it's a fantastic bunch of English sparkling wine coming to the same market as champagne. But you're saying about the future of sparkling wine. So future sparkling wine, what's going to, in my mind, is what's taking over. It's not about you can't have the future being case of oh it's going to just come up to kind of a level or be a second class to it has to be the what comes up ahead a for a start unfortunately english wine as much as i love it and i'm the biggest promoter of english sparkling wine i have done ever ever been the volume's never going to be there oh do you know what not, no not, they've not already said that they've identified possible. so many more great fantastic of so, and they can't so, to buy it. so so well, let's let Brexit goes really wine. badly. We really run an economy down to the ground. You're no, no. So, that, fine wine is related to the volume it's produced. No, it's not. But it's about into the market goes into. You don't see English. It's about exports. Yes, exports could go up by 200 percent for English sparkling yeah, wine, you start and it still would. So, it still would yeah. be nothing, and that's the, that's the problem. And we're going to. And, and the market is competing in its champagne. It's definition of fine wine of, of it being. A fine wine. No, no, but I, no, I'm not, not, I'm not defining whether it is or is not a fine wine. You said about the, okay. the argument is whether it's the future of. Okay. Now, you could argue the future of fine wine is lots of small markets opening up and creating their own wines, which I actually would agree with in a sense of that methodology, and that comes into my own wine later on. But I would not say that English sparkling wine on its own is the future. Now, your argument was sparkling wines made in champagne method or the traditional method mm. from other countries could be the future of fine wine. I could see sense in that argument, especially with global warming and other issues. But saying English sparkling wine on its own, I don't think is the future. That's fine. You're wrong. I'm right. Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> the, the lovely democracy we work here. Love that. But, uh, you know what? No, no. I, I, and I'm also this as someone who is a massive fan and fanatic of English sparkling wine. The difference is that when you start looking at the numbers, here's a fact: Moe Chandon is overpriced. It sells in supermarkets still here in the UK for around thirty pound a bottle, and they produce thirty-three million bottles a year. Dom Perignon is produced. I believe now 5.5 million bottles a year and sell all of it. English sparkling wine doesn't even make on total as much as DP. And guess and what? They've been ta- around for a hell of a longer. We are not. But the difference is about this, space. Pauline has not brought this to the table to say hey, the future of fine wine in the next 10 years. She said, "What's the also, future of fine wine?" Also, here's my counter argument: This would, would be would you could class Don Perignon as a fine wine? No, that's that's one of the questions. And I, I, I wouldn't. And yet personally. I would. It, it, I would. It this depends all your. And I would. So, what's your definition of fine Just wine? Just one It would be a wine that, in its both region, quality, and style, is unique, special, and also pushes boundaries of quality and sets standards for quality. Which hence be argument with Don Perignon is. Don Perignon is still aspirational, even no, though no, no, no. Aspiration, even though the quality I don't think aspirational is, is not a quali- it is for quality. the average consumer. But again, you can come to the average consumer. You're talking about with fine wine is based on actual knowledge or expectations of a wine. The difference is you can go to someone and go, hey, this mushroom's the best mushroom ever. It's rare and special, and give them a normal mushroom they've never seen before. They'll believe you. That doesn't make it a fine mushroom. It, and the Don Perignon is the best example is of perception that. Perception is reality. No, it's not. Moving if on, that was true, because we're going to run out and we're never going to have time to taste the other two one. lovely wines. Um, please, uh, anyone listening, we want to know your comments. Do you think and Dom Perignon is fine? fine? What is your definition? Your definition yeah, no, we want especially to want hear. that for marketing purposes. We, need to, we want to know, what is your definition of fine wine? Let us know on Instagram actually, at, at unfiltered.pcast. Stop I'll put that P-cast, down. Just say unfiltered. But what is it? It's, unfil- it's unfiltered like peacast. It sounds like a dodgy porno. It does not sound. That's why you shouldn't have named it unfiltered <laughs> peacast. Unfortunately, porno or no, not. I didn't. I didn't you is. named it. 
I did I? Yeah, she I said can't it remember. Up. Anyway, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm Felton Peacast. Um, or, of course, uh, leave comments on our Twitter. But I'll put all everything on uh, the information underneath. I'll call it Unfiltered Podcast. Sure, I wouldn't well, say Peacast. Maybe why you actually have loads of downloads. Yeah, maybe it's like, everyone's, it's a porno. everyone's oh. waiting for a golden shower-based oh, podcast. Oh, a golden yeah. shower. You know, please. John, what what wine did you bring? So, my wine is uh, Pinot Noir from Passy Rep. And it's actually coming from Slovenia. Oh, okay. Now, my argument for this wine, before we go into it, it's not just about Slovenia in total, which is a country I'm, I'm, again, I'm exploring a lot and I'm actually importing wines from personally. Um, my argument would be is I think that the new old world is where we're going to see a lot of increase in fine wine because the difference is compared to, I think we see a lot of fine wine markets open up in the new world. But I don't think there's actually been that much expansion as we've actually seen in some places actually been decline where they've got over the top in countries like New Zealand and had to actually bring back their amount of producing because it went too high. I think what we are going to see though is in these old world regions like Croatia, Slovenia, all these border regions, even a bit in Poland I've had some fantastic Armenia. wines from, Armenia. Mm-hmm. Old vines, sometimes also indigenous. Uh, Passy Rep also produced a wine called Zelen, which is indigenous to the region, which is superb. Um, we're going to start seeing both old vines that have been treated for a long time by people who really know them from regions who really know them and we start going back to the Burgundy or even the old Bordeaux method or the old wine region method all these elements we get from Italy and France like in Brunello people who know the earth know the grape varieties and grown for years are now coming out more in the forefront the difference between like Slovenia or Croatia isn't they haven't been selling the wines in the mass market because they didn't want to or they're not good enough it's because they drank them all or, and they didn't but also because they were part like some of it's Eastern Bloc issues as well. Yeah, that's like Romania, really Slovenia wasn't the issue. They didn't have the issue with Croatia, yeah. but um, they've had wars or other things that have gone in the area. But then just the knowledge and the know-how and the vines haven't changed. And so what we are seeing is these now, and also much like we're seeing a resurgence in Burgundy or in the Rhone of new winemakers, young winemakers who are coming through who aren't happy to just sell their wines to the locals. They now want to start putting their wines to the world stage. Passy Reps are a good example of this. Um, they are both producing some more grape varieties that are more well-known, like Pinot Noir, but they're also still showing their native grape varieties as well. And to me, I feel that if you're going anywhere for growth of fine wine, this me ticks all the boxes. That's an interesting point that you raise between the local market and the export market, because there's a big discussions about can you be a fine wine if you don't sell to the export market. So there's, there's one argument that says to be recognised a fine wine and to have a spot in the fine wine, you know, podium classification you have to be recognized by a mark by your market which is not yours and that a bit what happens in eastern europe is that the those wines were great even 10 years ago it's just like no nobody outside those countries were drinking them and i would personally Um, say no they're not a fine wine not because they don't deserve to be but i think it is perception so ultimately they have the potential potential to be a fine wine because they are delicious that's my category which yeah. is it, there's something special they're tasty by the way this pinot is delicious I guess um, yeah. but if you don't if people don't know about it or don't aspire it's, to it it's, my, 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 it's, my, my, it's a difference between fine wine and luxury wine to me what you say okay I, yeah. so that's that's one of the that's one of the difference that you can have between the fine wine which is on its own and the luxury wine which has to do with perception so you and they're tight I mean they're, they're quite linked yeah. together as yeah. you said anyway fine wine is not a commodity so in a way, if it's not a commodity, it's a luxury, right? Mm. But there's a, there's a there's a difference in t- in 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 making a luxury wine that you want to market consciously or not, because you know winemaker and marketing sometimes it's not conscious like 
that don't really pose and think marketing anyway. But do you want to place that product as a luxury thing? And of course, perception is important. And that's where marketing is. And and influential and, you know, wine critics based in London and New York and, and sommeliers in... Well, don't be silent wine critic, yeah. critics. That would uh, be set me off. We haven't got time. Or, or super sommeliers <laughs> um, everywhere. And I guess fine wine, it's more related to the product. I guess that's my that's my understanding. I, I, I think I agree with you. I mean, again, this, this is different to talk about perception. I think luxury products or luxury brands, if you look at Total, of course, anything, are an aspirational idealism. And again, mm. going back to Burgundy, especially parts of Italy, like Barolos and this. Some of these Barolos or some of these special Italian wines are worth tons of money, but they're not being bought by average person who's been on a reality TV show who's got money. They're being bought by people only by people who really know and understand the product, and they're worth that. And they are what I would say is fine wines. And I think the difference is that I think a fine wine is someone who's recognised by someone who understands the product and thinks it's quality, compared to someone who is buying a product based on branding. I think a luxury product is branding. Um, and buying something because that of I would totally branding. agree if you're using the term luxury. But it is but, I, but then, but that, but again, I think that's and that's comes out, that's aspirational is luxury. No, then, I don't think it is. And then we can have um, we can have hours conversation on um, the thing that you said about someone that understands quality because that again. Yeah, it depends on your palate. But um, it depends on your well, palate. Like, but it depends on your education. Experience. No, it depends on your education as well. I and mean, when you taste with people and when you judge wines with people that have been educated in different parts of the world, you'll see that Someone, the way they mm, recognise quality is totally different. And that was one of acidity, my first shock. Or alcohol or power and even, or fruit. Even yeah. try to define complexity and try to to give an importance to, to default. I mean mm-hmm. Brett is one of the things where you were talking Biggest about oxidation. But never understood that before coming to Australia but the importance the focus on on purity of fruit which is something that we never really focus on Bergen like purity of fruit it's not the growl like it's not something it's not the only thing you focus on and but it's important so much. sugar I mean I've tasted with Russian winemaker and the definition of quality was so opposite to mine so I, I do think though I'd also argue into my when you talk about expert opinion I think that I think one of the benefits of someone who's been a sommelier and working in a city like London is I've got used to serving people from all different backgrounds. One of the one advantages of doing that, and it's actually a thing I've actually had arguments with even masters of wine over, is you go, sometimes I feel like I know better the actual general opinion of wine lovers because I've had, I know, okay, it's person from this country, they're going to probably prefer something from this. You don't always know it for a fact. But again, is, but you the, do see import- the, is, is, is the consumer opinion relevant to your understanding of quality? And yes. again, is quality, but I, I'm not saying yes or no, but it's just like when you said the difference between fine wine and luxury wine is luxury wine is branding when fine wine is someone that actually recognised genuinely the quality of the wine, but it doesn't... I, I, the difference I'd say this, my crossover that would be is um, a fine wine can easily be a luxury wine. Yeah. And there are definitely some luxury wines who are not fine, fine wines. And I, I think guess. the difference is that's how you can really tell the difference between the two, is I can go into a little village in Italy, find a wine and go, taste 20 wines and find one and go okay this is a fine wine this is a wine that, even if it's not got the price for it even if it's not being marked that way you can go this wine deserves to be somewhere else it, while you can easily test something that's a luxury wine and go this is dog shit so um, but what, we've got a big brand name on it and, and I don't think the volume produced is relevant to the definition because otherwise no, the first good. growth of Bordeaux would never be a fine wine if mm-hmm. you had to be small production no, exactly. No, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that, we, we talked about this so, earlier before, which is the idea of just because it's only two rows being made doesn't make it special no. necessarily. It could also mean that that's all you've got. 
So you're throwing it in a barrel, so and making what you, you can. You brought with it. this wine, this Pinot Noir from Slovenia. What so, yeah, so, do you know about production? This is so yeah, passive rep. So he took over his vineyard from his family. Um, he works with quite a number of varieties. His main focus is Pinot Noir for a single red variety. Then you've got the Jipšić, which he does white with and red. Jipšić, which is <laughs> I checked the pronunciation on that. Uh, thanks to my Croatian girlfriend, so I can get that correctly. Um, which is he does a white and a red, which are both blends. Okay. Um, the red being almost kind of like a almost Bordeauxy style blend, mm-hmm. um, which is quite common in Slovenia, but normally have a bit of a refroshkin in there. But in his, it doesn't. Um, and then his white has Jipšić white, which is almost kind of Burgundian in style and has that kind of oakiness to it. And then he does a Zelin and a Malvasia. Obviously, there's a lot of Italian influence that goes into Slovenia, as well as Austrian from the yeah. north, but he's more on the Italian slash Croatian border. So he's actually okay. in between, right near the ocean. How much does this bottle cost? This uh, retails at £24. That is very, very good value. Um, um, yeah. It's a really beautiful amount of oak, but still very, very restrained. It, it, you can tell it's really? had oak without it being overpowering oh, for me absolutely. anyway. But I've, he's um, a, what's the alcohol in it? Does it taste quite ripe? Uh, 14 they do. Yeah. They, it is. It is. It's because even though they're near the ocean, it's an ocean between Italy and Slovenia and Croatia, so it doesn't actually give too much cooling effect compared to if you were near like the Atlantic or Pacific or. Uh, yeah. But I really ocean. like the concentration of fruitiness. He's but that it quite little well. toasty note just on the finish. Um, it almost kind of brings Salty it back. Well, yeah, right. something a little so bit this, earthy. I feel it's the effect of the sea without yeah. it actually having the cooling effect so much. But I feel that actually the reason he's probably using oak actually is less to do with him wanting to part oak, more probably to tone down the pinot noir a little bit. Um, which isn't a bad thing, that's good quality of winemaking. Uh, all organically produced, and he's looking at biodynamics as well. Um, he's all about uh, sustainability, quality, um, but it's also an example of someone who's inherited a vineyard with vines of a lot of age. Mm. So these are vines that can take this heat and time, and um, I think it delivers a lot of complexity. Um, I think obviously 24 is Pinot, so when you get into range, you are going to be competing against things. I don't think you'll find something from a bigger winemaking region like California or Burgundy that compete. I like the fresh. What I like about this is there's a real elegance, there's a real cleanness. I think there's a real cleanness of fruit, lots of that, all the typical red fruits, but the then complexity lies a touch on the kind of as the palette finishes. It's such a darker cherry textures, as well. Yeah. Um, little hints of spices but it's actually it's not voluptuous it's not humongous it's also not no brettiness no funky no 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 and no, also no this mushroom is, this no is earthy this is it's still very restrained as a time yeah. so it's still quite old world yeah i guess well this is where Somewhere i would say in the middle for, also, me. Yeah, also, for me that's in the middle yeah. that's exactly what i think you eastern europe can bring because you've got something of um old world winemaking very restrained not just fruit in your face and just fruit there's loads of complexity but the ripeness of it can't be you know you can't think it's a burgundy pinot noir and no. so I, I think i think it's not it's not a cool climate pinot noir there's more sunshine for sure it's yeah. it's warm and it's but rich. it's done well but it's and i think there's also and I, no i'm not I saying think, it's a bad oh, no, no. thing i'm and just I saying it's a new it's style it's a bit like one of the best sonoma or but Oregon. i think, yeah. pinot noir I think, I think it can really please both sides which is yeah. what i like about it and yeah, why if it also when i talk about the future i think this is the regions that will do it because you can find regions that could do this in the new world, but you haven't planted them yet, or they haven't got old enough vines. And I think you have to have the vines of the age and the time on them to do it. And I think a vine age to me is super important. The amount of difference I've tried between old vines and young more, vines. It would give more focus to the fruit. Exactly. And also, also. also and also the difference of all about that, that savoury character, that yeah. restrained character. You just don't, you do find it in the new world, 
but it's, it's it feels more forced, and here it feels more natural. I think, I that, think that that's. Why I think that when people have um, got bored of their English sparkling wine, they'll definitely come to your Pinot. <laughs> After like, English sparkling wine, they'll move with the Pinot. You know, also, <laughs> oh, oh, oh no, let's be England, fair. We'll they'll start. Pinot. They'll start with my English sparkling it's wine. It's got a decent English Pinot. And, like then, few, and then and then they'll have some Pinot with their dinner. Um, so just moving on um, to your lovely wine that you've brought. What have you uh, brought, Bonnie? What, so, what is the future? So first, wine. yeah, I can give you. So it's not my definition. So what I do is I. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You can't backtrack now. Yeah, I do. Well, that's that's <laughs> the introduction of my wine and why I brought it. And um, so what I do on an everyday basis is I run an institute which is called the Arani Institute. So we focus on fine wine and on studies of fine wine. The point is, we think the world we're living in is disrupted in so many ways on geopolitical level, climate change access to resource, tech. There's a lot of disruptions that happens in, in the wine world and there's a lot of you know people that don't really know how is the 10 next year going to look like? Um, so we're Can doing lots of research. Properly, yeah, we, we've done a lot of research and one, one aspect of the research which we focus on is actually trying to define fine wine because as we've touched, it's very complex and very personal definition. Uh, so we've done the research that we've been doing for the last three years, we came up with um, a three element to the definition of fine wine. The first one is a fine wine is has objective quality, so it has to be it has to be balanced to have complexity, to have the capacity to age, yet to be drinkable at every stage of its aging. Then the second definition, the second aspect of the definition is everything which is subjective. And that's the difference between a good wine and a great wine and a fine wine. It's the emotion that it gives you. Not only it's yummy, but it stops the time. So you can remember exactly the condition you were in when you were drinking it. Oh, I, right? like, I like that one a lot. Mm. Just like, like 9-11, where were you? You remember that. Well, it's the, the, a fine wine will stop the time for you and you will remember Christmas 1998 with your grandpa. Margaret, I can tell you exactly yeah. everything that happened. That's so a, so that's exactly Richard that. Richard Bloomsbury non-vintage. Yeah. <laughs> You need to yell to me a lot. And That's I guess that helps. Every... I guess that helps a lot. Yeah. Putting no, that difference but between mm-hmm. good do, do you and fine. That's because of also. I actually want to go back to also what your ability of tasting and smelling is. Also, with wine is taste, memory, perception. Ooh. Wine isn't actually the flavors are in the glass; it's what we perceive the flavors in the glass to be. But of course, it's very it's very subjective. And again, the condition we've all experienced that in the wine trade, the condition you taste a wine in would actually change your memory of it. But still, there's something. There's those those sensorial emotion that you can feel sometimes they're bigger than others when you drink wine right? I have something to say yeah I've just put my beautiful nose into your beautiful wine and it is literally nose, shut up I just wanted to compliment myself <laughs> look let a woman have self love um <laughs> We'll talk about this after the podcast. The after. Your um, wine, I just put it in, and it's like eating um, after eight chocolate mints, like chocolate mint, like proper. It for me. Do you? And actually, it's so funny because I get, I get, I get no. I actually, I, it's one of the things where I don't get the same it's, thing, but I understand where you're getting it from. Literally, so. the after eight chocolate mints. Okay, but that's again Sorry, comes to the subjective definition because again, depending subjective. on where you come from, your education, what you've eaten, something which is not globalized yet is your palate and the way you grow up and the food you are accustomed with actually shapes that. But I am so right though. I'm just, I'm just saying <laughs> this is literally. Well, if someone if notes. someone has never tasted an after eight, you wouldn't be right for him or her. Exactly. Okay, but I'm saying chocolate mints. And, and so a, a great example as well be is I don't like coffee. And because of that, and I do like wine, I don't ever get coffee in wine. Because you can't. I you get, also get. I don't associate something. You can be otherblind too. 
there's there's a no no, no I can smell coffee no earlier. okay I know no no but if I smell a hint of coffee I feel it overpowers I hate it and okay. the difference is that have you go oh, I get coffee hints I get dark chocolate all the other things around it yeah my partner but doesn't I, like vegetables so he's very good at, he's very good at oh, that's nice is he French as well yeah <laughs> that makes no sense I'm allergic but and the last <laughs> the last definition um, the last sorry um, element to the definition of fine wine is intention so a bit like art is art because the artist wanted it to be art um, a fine wine needs to be made fine by the winemaker so all the decision he or she makes from the beginning to the end is made because they want to produce the best ever possible with what they're given and that, have you that seen a lot of modern art? well <laughs> I'm sorry I can again l- no that's <laughs> sort of my point is that if Klein I don't know how you pronounce it in English Klein maybe is very famous for those mo- blue monochrome right mm. so it's basically a blue mm. square okay. where the typical blue shade so he couldn't, he couldn't paint basically so that's just, art because and not. that has value because sadly, it is art. No, I just agree that I drew because Russian people don't launder money. It's, but, it's um, rubbish art. But isn't that as the same our perception? Way with wine? No, I've never had a wine that I go is just blue. I don't. Feel, I, I'd actually. I just agree that heavily, which makes you more with modern art. I've, I've been to these paintings where there was a block of one shade of red and a block of another shade of red. That's but, not art. That's just something you can't paint. Well, sadly, it still fits into the category. Of art. If someone gives me it's a wine that is just oxidized and goes. This is an expression of oxidization. I go, no, you can't make wine. And I think that it, is a big I think I think it depends. If that's really what you want to do and you've controlled well, it. Well, you wanted to make a bad wine. That's that's uh, you wanted to I don't do, think it makes it art. Well I that's, guess I'm, 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 no, no, I'm no, more no, issue with modern art as a definition. And again, I guess that the fact that it makes you think is something valuable too. Whether you would spend money on it or not. But if that makes you stop, look at something, have a different perspective on it and think about something and see if you've got you, an opinion on you it. You brought me back to memory that's of when I did my first ever exams. Yeah. Uh, they went and bought a wine from the Kremlin. It was a sparkling champagne method wine from the Kremlin. Traditional method wine from the Kremlin. Um, and I wrong they got it and tried it. I thought it might be interesting. It turns out it was literally an example of everything you could do wrong in winemaking. <laughs> so they brought it to us to have it and go, hey guys, try this. It's oxidized, not done. The, everything literally <laughs> had yeah. bread. It literally, you could not. It yeah, felt, no, it felt, it felt to a point of. It's completely. It felt like completely like someone had gone intentionally to do every fault. One of them goes, I don't know how they managed to do this and this. Like but you know these what? two things are so separate. But it was still. It was still. But, again, my, my, but my argument is to me. But again, perception. But no, is but it someone. No, no, Someone's willing to put there, money on it. Who there, was, there was no perception about it. Why do you think with you, Pauline, Johnny? It's true. It doesn't no, no, just no. because it tastes like crap. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it's not right. Have, have, you seen, have you seen fashion and the way people dress in in the catwalk? Like, mm. it's, it's yeah, the but same no one gives a shit about it. No one wears it. They do. That, that's an art lovers do. And that's why people hey, spend hey, hundreds hey. of dollars in fashion. I think you'll find that yeah. that's dying. Anyway, so, uh, this, this yeah, come back to this and tell us about this beautiful so, wine as well. So this is the uh, Abelard 2011 by Chêne Bleu um, in the Ventoux region, so the uh, Southern Rhone region. Um, and the reason why I picked this wine in particular is because it's yummy. Yeah, and it ticks all the box. I mean, it's 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 for me it embodies the definition of fine wine being that it's got the objective quality, right? It's got complexity, it's got length, it's balanced, it's got the capacity to age, but it's still very drinkable, even at a rather young age for you know salad wine. For their wines well, as well, yeah. Yeah, there's 2011. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned yeah. this. So it's 2000, then, yeah, yeah. And it's still drinking so young. 
Yeah, and I mean you you can you can keep it forever, but it's still you, it's still quite enjoyable. forever. I'm gonna argue yeah, with no, you. Yeah, no, no, not forever. No, so I will, I will, I will. You know, French, but uh, at a French forever is only another ten years, years and it's over. <laughs> then then it's I don't you know, know if it's all there. It's it will definitely long. age French forever. And then French, and French. then and then you've got the subjective definition. Is for me that wine stopped my time. So I really remember clearly the first time that I drank that wine and the emotion yeah. I I had when drinking it and all the surprise and the curiosity that it brought at that time and how I wanted to know more about it um, and I remember exactly the condition the room the people exactly this can and I please just quickly mention we've gone from our first ever episode which is person brought wine because it happened to be next to them when we called them to person who brings wine because it brought them emotional feelings stopped them in time we were improving with our guests I just feel that after finding so many episodes Tom Grundy we've, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're calling you out as always I feel like we've probably improved like I feel we've really found our, our I genuinely love this wine um, the, the power the fruitiness the pureness the elegant tannins the beautiful fruit flavours my amazing chocolate after eight mint flavour I'm telling you now I genuinely think this is a really beautiful wine I'm actually having a very good moment with this and the last definition of uh, the last part of the definition which is there's an intention like they of wanted it to yeah of the collective definition we came you up with you can have your own definitions so you can go back of to course <laughs> yeah but uh, <laughs> I mean I mean the the intention like this estate is young for French standard like the first vintage was 2006 um, the I, have a, I have a bottle yeah the them. diversity of this is like it's it's outsiders that came to France uh, with money that they made in a different life to invest in a vineyard because they wanted purpose in a way and they wanted to preserve something and and get the best out of it and make sure it was sustainable um, and that's what they've done and since the beginning they've focused the energy and investment in doing the best they could and promoting also the region in in a whole mm -hmm. like pushing everyone up and that's also something that you see in the wine world is that a region gets known when you've got an outsider that comes I think make it super high quality take it to the you know push really the quality standard of that region and then it creates that positive thing for the region in a whole and and that, to bring that benchmark a, it's, i think it's almost sometimes I like these guys have i think also like not quite the same as someone coming new but i think like what you saw gaia do barbaresco i think chambly while doing a vontu vontu is a very overlooked region in the Rome. yeah and, and you can get so. very good value there because and, of that and i think that what they've done though is and I happen to ironically weirdly you bought this bottle but I actually know the owners very well um, I've got to speak to them we actually had a whole class they do a great thing where if they do some training with your staff where they actually have their winemaker in the vineyard and you do a link by uh, the internet and he takes you around the vineyard and shows you it's amazing um, they have a great purpose and idea of so they do all of their vineyard is built very high altitude for yep. Vontu um, it's all completely gravity it's fed so it's useful. very yep. Yep, very modern it's organic um, biodynamic in practice and also that's something so they really love it though like when you speak to them they, it's their obsession like, and, and sustainability is such an important thing that's one of the themes we've uh, researched the most this year is can a fine wine be something else than sustainable sustainable for the environment sustainable for the people that work in the vineyard it's and then drink the wine and sustainable financially as well and I guess those people are doing um, amazing yeah. thing they're starting a, a crowdfunding project which is called Be Sustainable B-E-E -E, because they've got a huge activity with the bees in the vineyards and what they can bring to 
you know, the quality of the property and everything. Beautiful. And yeah, no, I guess that was interesting. And also it's, so Abelard is 85% Grenache and 15% Syrah. Then they also um, do the, the Eloise. Eloise, which is the other top the, cafe, the, which is the other way around. The opposite, here. yeah. Yep. And um, then uh, Astrolab, which yeah, is their, you're, which you're is there, their, is their wine of the chateau. And then if you talk marketing-wise... The rosé is beautiful as well, actually. Yeah. The rosé is... Marketing-wise, the future of fine wine is about storytelling, what is actually the present of fine wine, to be fair. And they've got such a, a beautiful story between Abelard and Eloise, which is that power couple from the medieval age. And if you look at the label everything's been thought after carefully and there's a symbol behind every little thing on that label. I'm very excited for you to say what their label is and also the design to have their idea of quality is I'm very lucky that I've had a few years of sending a Christmas card or a Christmas yeah. bottle um, and on that they take their actual label from the wine label and they put little Santa Clauses and yeah. elves on different Your parts of it and it's <laughs> the most and it's every year it's different and it's you've mentioned this in I think yes. our, our previous podcast and they are and literally sent me one I was this so when I, I changed jobs yeah. and I haven't been selling the wine since and I do want to start selling the wine again um, we'll talk about this after the podcast it's <laughs> beautiful what they sent but it's amazing can I just but, oh sorry do you know the, the rabbit thing so there's also six little white rabbits hidden she on the label before, yeah, yeah. if you oh. find the rabbits you're part of the community so there's also there's a lot the happening in, in consumers engagement in wine at the moment how do you engage with consumers Beautiful. with empowered consumers and everything and th those guys are doing loads of things about how can we talk to consumers they, they are what you call them they now actually call them super Rome wines now yes. right. they were the first people to have this idea of super Rome so wines but, that are well, not well because they're mainly from one great variety so they've done the same thing as super Toscan at their time it's like okay we're in a region where blend our everything but we actually believe that in our terroir Grenache would do best than anything else but in the appellation system, you can't have a single vintage. You can't have a single varietal in in the in the southern Rome. You had to have blend. Which was because um, of being also regions that are also unknown, but showing they can do. So they had to go well. outside of the appellation system, um, and and just because those wine sells for something like fifty quid, and mm. when it's a you know, is this a fifty pound wine? Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? It's worth it. It's expensive. But it's worth it. I think I think and if you if you compare this to a fifty pound, and if you're thinking powerful big reds, you'd yeah. be thinking. Bordeaux, this is, um, California, this, is, this knocks the socks off. This is absolutely out there. Um, and probably on that note, I've hopefully we've we should, finish, we should probably finish we and also to. drink behind the scenes. We, 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 we <laughs> can happily, we, we well happily care for We've well gone over timing. Um, guys, hopefully that's inspired you on what is a fine yeah. one. We have to also mention as well, again from our last podcast, we are Les Televets, who kindly have hosted us today. I should mention that. Yes. Terrible, don't. It's a fantastic restaurant. Um, Chef Ross, regardless of the is actually fantastic, but don't tell him I said that. Um, we might have him on sometime soon. Um, they're also hugely into the wine, they have a huge wine collection. I think the most wines by glass. I think, a lot of London. wines and by glass. And if you want to know more about the future of fine wine, you can get to our website. Can we even ask you to plug, plug yourself? A R E N I dot global. And that's where you'll find the research that we do, the different disruptive forces that we study, all the events that we held. Um, to discuss the future of fine Can wine. you come we make will, us do our podcast better in future? She is making better it better. I are. will put that website that Pauline has just put, I will put that on the notes underneath the podcast yeah, for everyone. And even You mean you about two hours off podcast I'll edit it up and then you give me the blurb. And uh, thank you so much well, for such an so amazing theme and a delicious wine that you've brought. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Unfiltered. Thanks Bye. so much. Bye.